Thank you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast, where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now, here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. If you're desperate and longing for King Jesus, say, that's me. Okay, you can grab a seat. For the rest of you, I'm not sure why you tuned in today. There's a brand new commercial on TV. Now, if you're watching this from another country, you have probably not seen this. In fact, if you've been in basic training and haven't seen TV in a while, a couple of you in this room, chances are you haven't seen this commercial. I've watched it once. And in the middle of this commercial, I had to stop and ask my daughter Lydia, who was sitting right next to me, am I hearing right what this commercial is saying? Because this commercial is for magic eye drops. They don't use the word magic. I just did. But the whole commercial is about eye drops that will make you see better and you don't need glasses. It's a marketing masterpiece because every person in the commercial is basically taking their glasses off and saying, wait, I can put eye drops in and it will make my eyesight better. And in the middle of the commercial, I asked Lydia, am I hearing this correctly? Are they saying that these magic drops will make my eyesight better? I don't even remember the name of the product because I've only seen the commercial once and it blew my mind because I thought you had to wear glasses to fix your eyesight. Or at least you had to go get surgery and they had to reshape your eyes. And to be honest with you, I'm not exactly sure how I feel about these eye drops because it, it really feels to me like snake oil inside that little bottle. Like what did they put inside that thing that can actually correct farsightedness and now you can see clearer what's close to your face? And as I was working on this sermon, no exaggeration, that commercial, I've only seen it once, I was halfway through the commercial when it blew my mind, and as I was working on this scripture passage for this week, that commercial kept coming to my mind over and over again, and I started wondering, am I seeing on this television commercial what I'm reading in the Bible? Because if you have been following along with us as a church, we've been studying through the book of John, and what you've seen in the book of John is Jesus doing some really incredible miracles. He healed a guy that was crippled in his legs for almost 40 years, and now this guy is walking through the city streets. He restored vision to a man that was born blind, and now this guy is walking through the streets. And by the time you get to chapter 12, where we are today, He has raised Lazarus back from the dead, and Lazarus is walking through the streets. And what you have in the Bible is people that get to this point, but they can't believe it. They cannot believe what their own eyes see. And as a church, what we try to do is give you in one very simple statement, where are we going to go with this sermon? What are you going to learn today? And I'll put it on the screens for you. Here it is. Even Jesus can't make closed eyes. When you intentionally close your eyes, even Jesus can't make those eyes see. I'm just going to be honest with you. I really, really struggled this week with this sermon. And I didn't struggle so much with the Bible, with the words of the Bible, because I understand what they're saying. But the implications of those words 
really, really challenged me. I said that at the very beginning of this service. And what we're going to do for just a few moments in John chapter 12 is we're going to deal with some dangerous theology. So I need you, if you're focused or thinking about someone, something else, if you're a mom at home and the children are pulling at your attention, I need you to focus and lean in and pay close attention. Because if you don't get this right, your theology may hurt you or it may hurt somebody else. The Bible is going to deal with a tension today that for thousands of years, some of the greatest minds in Christianity have grappled with. I have grappled with this for decades, and there's no easy solution to this tension. And I've found that when people take a cheap, easy solution to this tension that the Bible is going to deal with today, they inevitably come up with some very dangerous, very wrong theology. It was really hard. Anybody in this room who knows me, you would know it was really hard for me to put this sentence on the screens because I struggle with these two words in the same sentence, Jesus and Kant. When you put Jesus and Kant in the same sentence, it's a real, real challenge for me. But what you see from the Bible today is there's a group of people that have their eyes closed so tightly that even Jesus can't make them see. And what we're going to see by the end of this sermon is the Bible holding these two things up at the same time, equally true, and they're in tension with one another. And I'm not going to try to fix the tension for you because the Bible doesn't try to fix the tension for you. What we're going to see is that God is absolutely sovereign over all affairs in the world. If you would agree with that, let me hear you say amen. Amen. But we're also going to see that men and women have a responsibility to see and believe. And if you, would res- if you would agree with that, let me hear you say amen. Now we have two things that are true at the same time, and they're going to be a little bit of a struggle for me. They may be a little bit of a struggle for you. Why is it, I think John is dealing with this question, why is it that these people who have seen miracles over and over again still don't believe? And that's really what we're going to wrestle with today. This comes from John chapter 12. We're just going to continue where we left off last week, Easter Sunday. We're going to pick up in verse 37, and we're going to deal with people that are spiritually farsighted. Actually, they're spiritually blind because their eyes are clenched so closed that they cannot see what's right in front of their face. That's why I call it farsightedness. And here's the first thing that you're going to see from the Bible today. You're blind when you choose to ignore what's right in front of your face. There's a group of people that don't want to see, and because they don't want to see, there's nothing and no one that can make them recognize Jesus when he's standing right in front of their face. And here's the truth. You know somebody like this. I'm almost certain. you. Like you have to live under a rock not to know somebody exactly like this. This is the neighbor of yours. This is the coworker, the classmate. This is your cousin or your friend who you can see God working in very powerful ways to try to get their attention. It is 
painfully obvious to you, but they just can't see it, and you're trying to help them see it, and it, for you, it's like, I don't understand. How could you possibly miss the fact that God is trying to get your attention? But they just don't see it. They can't see it at all, and they can't see it because their eyes are closed shut, and they choose to ignore what's obviously right in front of their face. You can see it. I can see it. They just can't see it. That's the group of people in John chapter 12, starting in verse 37, that we're going to read about. Even though he had performed so many signs, that word signs is a reference to Jesus's miracles. Even though he had performed so many signs in their presence, will you say the word presence out loud? That means they could see Jesus doing a miracle or see the results of the miracle right in front of their face. Listen to what John says next. They did not believe in Jesus. And then John tells us why. And this goes all the way back to the Old Testament, to the prophet Isaiah. This was to fulfill the words of Isaiah the prophet who said, Lord, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And then I think John's mind is blown that they could see a man walking in the streets that they knew was crippled and now he's walking. They could see a man who has eyesight, was born blind, and now he can see. They can see a man who was very publicly in a tomb and four days later is now alive. They could see those things, but they can't believe it. And I think John's mind is blown so he goes back to the Old Testament, and this is what John says about Isaiah. This is why they were unable to believe. Because Isaiah also said, He, meaning God, has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that they would not see with their eyes and understand with their hearts and turn. That's the biblical word, repent and turn. And I, God in heaven, would heal their soul if they would see and if they would believe. Humor me for just a second. Would you place your hands across your eyes like you did when you were a kid and something bad was about to happen? Just put your hands in front of your eyes. Y'all remember doing this when there was a scary movie on TV? Okay, you can take your hands down now. You remember doing this when there was a scary movie on TV or something bad was about to happen and you didn't want it to happen. So when you were a child, you just put your hands in front of your face and you covered your eyes up thinking like by covering my eyes up, it'll go away and the bad stuff won't happen. And then at some point you became an adult and you realized just because I covered my eyes up doesn't make the bad stuff go away. It just meant that I can't see the bad stuff. These Crowds of people, and specifically the religious leaders, I really feel like this is here we go again, not these guys again. They have seen, and instead of wanting to admit what they see, they just cover their eyes up, and they choose not to believe it. And it's right in front of their face, and other people can see it, and it's painfully obvious to others that Jesus must be the Son of God, because nobody can restore sight to someone who was born blind. Nobody can make a crippled walk. Nobody can call somebody by name out of the grave and that dead man comes back out of the tomb alive. This must be the son of God. But a lot of people in that crowd couldn't see it. And John is telling us one of the reasons they couldn't see it is because their hearts 
have become hardened. That is literally the Bible word for a callus. I have calluses all over my feet. I have worked for decades for the calluses that are on my toes and on my feet so that when I run long distances, they don't bruise and blister and bleed anymore. I have worked hard so that when friction rubs against my skin, that friction became a blister, but when it kept rubbing against the skin long enough, that blister became a callus, and now it's tough enough to handle whatever abuse that I throw at it. John is using this word to describe the human soul. And he said, there's some things that are rubbing up against their soul. And they don't like how it feels. And so they try to avoid it. And their soul has become callous. And you know what callous skin feels like. When something touches the calloused part of your skin, you know that something is there, but you don't know what it is because it's so hard that it no longer can feel. It doesn't have the sensitivity to feel what's against the skin. And that, what John is saying, is what's happened to their soul. I wish we could say from the Bible today, that the only reason why they don't believe is because they placed their hands over their eyes and they've chosen not to see. But that's not all that John is saying. John is saying that there's a moment where, and I believe in my theology, they have put their hands over their eyes for so long that God has said, okay, now I'm going to cover your eyes. And now you're not going to be able to see because when your heart was soft and when your heart was tender and when your heart was responsive, you chose not to see. And now your heart has become so hard, your soul has become so calloused that you cannot see. And you're going to end up spending an eternity suffering the consequences of a soul that is so hardened and so calloused that you literally cannot see anymore. What we're doing today, because the Bible is doing this, I didn't write this passage. The Bible is affirming two things to be equally true at the same time. God is absolutely in control. God is absolutely sovereign. Jesus has already said, my sheep hear my voice and they come to me. They follow me. Anyone who the Father sends, Jesus has already said from the book of John, anyone who the Father calls or the Father sends will follow me. But at the same time, the Bible is saying man or woman is responsible to hear the words and to respond. And you can look as hard as you want. You will not find one spot in the Bible, not one verse that blames God for a hard, calloused heart. That's always the responsibility of a human being. And what we're affirming is man's responsibility and God's sovereignty at the same time because this is what John is trying to teach us today. They're blind because they started to clench their eyes closed. And they kept their eyes closed for so long that pretty soon God closed their eyes and now they can't see anymore. And I hope you're thinking about you right now. And I hope you're thinking, God, let me be so soft. Let my heart be so tender that it doesn't start to get hard because I don't ever want to get to the point that these people got to. So don't ever let me get a hard soul. Don't ever let me develop a callus on my heart where I can't hear from you and I can't feel you speaking to me. 
That's what the Bible starts to describe when these people choose not to see. But if you keep reading, you're going to notice that part of the reason they're blind is because they're actually looking in the wrong direction. And when you look over here, there's no way you can see what's happening over there. And you have a group of people in the Bible who are focused over here and they can't see what's happening back behind them. I am absolutely convinced with every fiber of my being that Jesus is real and has radically changed my life. But I'm also convinced that there is an enemy for my soul. His name is Satan, that he is real and that he would do whatever he can to disrupt my faith. And I think one of the great tools of Satan is to not try to convince somebody that Jesus isn't real. I don't think that's his general approach. I think Satan's most effective tool is to just convince you that Jesus doesn't matter. If he can get you to focus over here instead of on Jesus, then pretty soon you don't care about Jesus anymore. It's not that you don't believe. It's just that you don't care. And I know you know somebody like that who believes that Jesus is real, but he doesn't make any difference in their life whatsoever. That's a person that Satan has right in the palm of their hand. And that's the guys and gals that we read about next in John chapter 12. You see, starting in verse 41, John describes what Isaiah is trying to teach us. And he says it this way. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory. The his glory that he's referring to right here is Jesus. John is saying Isaiah who lived 700 years before him saw how glorious Jesus would be. He saw his glory and he spoke about him. Nevertheless, many did believe in Jesus even among the rulers. But, and here it comes, because of the Pharisees and these really powerful religious leaders, these pastors and priests that were threatened by Jesus because of the, par- the Pharisees, they did not confess Jesus so that they personally would not be banned from the synagogue. And here's why. And this is where the rubber meets the road. For they loved human praise more than they loved the praise of God. The verb tense, I'm going to leave this on the screens for you, is really, really important. Because John is saying, you have a group of people in the Bible that have seen the miracles. And they've started to put two and two together and they've started to realize, wait a second, this brother must be legit. He really must be the son of God. And they have private faith, but not public faith. And maybe I'm speaking to somebody in this room right now. Maybe I'm speaking to somebody online right now who knows if I were to get vocal about what I believe, it's going to cost me my friendships. It's going to cost me my marriage because I'm married to an absolute atheist who hates the things of God. It may cost me my job. It may cost me my livelihood. And this group of people in the New Testament, there was a a kind of a contract out on Jesus' head, and this contract also included anybody who would publicly stand up and defend Jesus. If you defend Jesus, we will kick you out of the temple. We will essentially make you an outsider, and it's going to cost you your business. It may cost you your family. It's going to cost you severely. 
John is saying there's a big difference between private faith and public faith. Do you know how Jesus says this? And this is a warning for all of us. He says, anyone who does not confess me before men, public faith, I will not confess before my Father in heaven. And there are some of us, I know you are, because I pray for you by name, who have not shared your faith with one person in years or in a lifetime. There are some of you who are not discipling anyone else and you claim to be a disciple of Jesus, yet you're not living his mission. You're not fulfilling the great commission because you're afraid of the consequences. It's not that you don't know what to say. It's that you're scared of the consequences. And Jesus is calling people like that out in this passage. In fact, what he says next leaves no room for debate about private versus public faith. And I wish we lived in a world where if you were vocal about Jesus, it didn't cost you anything. That world doesn't exist anymore. We are now in a world that if you're going to be vocal, it might, it probably will hurt. And Jesus is saying, and I will restore for you tenfold, a hundredfold what you lost here on earth. And it's waiting for you when you get to be with me in my father's kingdom. So you have a group of people that have this private faith, but they don't have a public faith. Now, I'm going to do a magic trick for you. I want you to pay close attention right now to my hands because every good magic trick works by sleight of hand, and you have to watch this one hand so that you can see what the other hand is doing. Did you see what I just did here with my glasses? What Jesus is describing is people, and I'm afraid he's talking about me from time to time who I get so focused on this over here and so directed at this over here that I can't focus on what's over here because I'm looking in the wrong direction. And in the verb tense on the screens, what the Bible is literally saying, the genitive case of this word is they wanted the praise of men, the glory that comes from men, more than they wanted the glory that comes from God. And they got exactly what they wanted. They got praise and they got glory from other men. And they got that instead of the praise or the glory that comes from God. And I'm going to be honest with myself when I read this passage. I think to myself, "Uh uh-oh, Jeff, sometimes you're really focused on what other people think about you. To the expense of what God thinks about you. And when you do that, Jeff, you started to take your gaze in the wrong direction and you're looking at the wrong direction and you cannot see Jesus over here because you're so focused on people over here. I don't know if it's anybody else, but I feel this almost every day of my life, the enemy trying to pull my attention away from Jesus and put it on something that doesn't deserve my attention. Is it only me or is that you too? So you got a group of people that choose not to see. And you have a group of people that can't see because they're obviously looking in the wrong direction. And then you have the final group of people. This is how John chapter 12 ends. I want you to go ahead and finish this sentence for me out loud. Don't judge a book by... You have a group of people that can't see because they can't look past the surface. 
All they can see in front of them is this itinerant rabbi, this Jewish carpenter, and they cannot see he is God's Messiah. This is the son of the living God, and they can't see because it's a stumbling block to them. And I really believe we use this phrase so much in the United States, don't judge a book by the cover, because we all know there's no way what's right in front of you can describe or explain the depths of what's inside that book or the person that's right in front of you. And so we prejudge, we're prejudiced, and we judge a person by the way that they look on the outside without ever getting to know what's going on inside. We judge a book by a cover. Take it from a published author. The reason they didn't buy the book is because they hated the cover. They didn't even get to what's inside. It's good stuff inside. Just read the inside of the book. And this is what John is describing as he wraps up this passage about spiritual blindness, about spiritual farsightedness, and they can't see what's inches away from their nose. Starting in verse 44, here's how the Bible describes this. Jesus cried out, The one who believes in me believes not in me, but him who sent me. Can we pause for just a second? Look up here on the screens. If you were here with our Easter broadcast, there was a group of Greeks, these outsiders who showed up at Jesus's ministry and they went to Philip and they said, hey, Philip, we want to see Messiah. We want you to introduce us to Jesus. And last week, the Bible didn't tell us whether or not they ever got a chance to see Jesus. Well, Jesus not only shows him himself, but he raises the stakes today. Check this out. The one who believes in me believes not in me, but he believes in him who sent me. Now look at this. And the one who sees me sees him who sent me. Jesus is saying, I'll show you not just me. I will show you the Father because that's who you really want to see. I have come as a light into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words, and here it is, and does not keep them, I don't judge him. For I didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and doesn't receive my sayings has this as his judge. He's saying, you will be judged, but it's not going to be by me. It's going to be by the righteous, perfect judge who never gets it wrong. This is the one who rejects me and doesn't receive my sayings. That person has this as his judge. The world, the word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own. But the Father himself who sent me has given me a command to say everything that I've said. I know that his command is eternal life. Jesus is saying, the Father is commanding, be saved, turn from your sins, run to Jesus and be forgiven. This is God's command and everyone who follows that command has eternal life. So the things that I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. And then this is going to end Jesus speaking to the crowds. Now, if you're scratching your head because you were with us on Easter, you're saying, wait a second, Jeff, last week you said that Jesus ended his public ministry with his words last week. And now the Bible is saying, and he just cried out. Who is he crying out to? I thought 
he's not doing a public ministry anymore. Well, the Bible scholars are kind of confused about exactly where this passage goes. Some of them think this really happened. John didn't know where to put it, so he just tacked it on at the end before we get to chapter 13, which is Jesus' long march to the cross. I tend to believe this is Jesus looking at the crowds. Look up here for a second. And he's thinning the herd one more time. And he's saying, if you jumped on the bandwagon just because you thought it was going to be easy, if you came along just because you thought it was going to benefit you, I need you to hear some hard words. Because what's going to happen next to me is going to challenge everything you believed about your rescuer. And so if you're just here for what you can get out of it, there's the door. Go ahead and walk right now. Jesus is reminding them, hey, just because you hear my words and believe them, it's not good enough. It's the one who puts what you believe into practice. I say this all the time around here. You don't really believe what you say you believe. You actually believe what you behave. And no matter what comes out of your mouth, what your hands do, that's really, really what you believe. Because this is what Jesus is telling us. Just because you heard it, and just because in your heart you said you believed it, that doesn't mean that it's real for you. What you do, that's what's real for you. And Jesus is speaking to this crowd. And he's saying, I came to give you eternal life. This is the reason why I'm here. And some of you heard it, and in your head you intellectually understood it, but in your heart you didn't accept it. And on the last day, my words will judge you. My words will condemn you because you heard my words. And then you turned around and you lived any way that you wanted to live. Yesterday, 50 years ago, April 21st, 1972, was the moon landing of Apollo 16. Yesterday, the world celebrated the landing of a couple of more astronauts on the moon's surface. This is a picture of Charlie Duke, who is now in his mid-80s. Charlie Duke is one of 12 men in history to ever step foot on the moon's surface. He's one of only four men left alive that can stand in front of you and tell you exactly what he saw with his own eyes while he was standing on the moon's surface. And then I read this news article that just blew me away because it said how miserable and how unhappy, unfulfilled Charlie Duke was later in life. Listen to this guy's story. And by the way, if you don't recognize him because you haven't been around that long, Charlie Duke was the original redneck. He was the guy who got a chance to ride ATVs on the moon's surface. And while he was in the Air Force, he flew through the ranks. He was on a skyrocket path. I did that on purpose. Do you see the little, plug, uh, the little play on words right there? Path to success. In fact, he retired from the U.S. Air Force as a general officer. When he was in NASA, he achieved the absolute pinnacle. Do you remember those immortal words when the first human being touched the surface of the moon and John Glenn made that statement, this is a small step. Do you remember the voice that heard him next and said, Tranquility Base, this is Houston, we hear you, we've got you loud and clear? That was Charlie Duke's voice. He retires from NASA 
And he decides, I've got all of the fame that you could possibly want. I'm one of the most famous people on the planet because of this. I've got all of the rank and all of the success that you want, but I don't have enough money. So I'm going to go into business for myself. And he opens up a Coors Beer Distribution Center and becomes famously wealthy. And he's miserable. Now listen, put two and two together with me for just a second. He's got all of the money. He's got all the fame. He's got every trapping of success that humanity could ask for. And his marriage is on the rocks. His children don't like being around him. And he's miserable. And this weekend, the Washington Post printed an article about what happened to Charlie Duke eight years after landing on the moon's surface when he pulled his car over onto the side of a highway in Texas and God radically changed this man's life. He and his wife, their marriage was so strained that they went in desperation to a marriage conference that their church invited them to. And his wife, Dot, became a Christian at that marriage conference and she radically changed right in front of Charlie's eyes. But it didn't fix Charlie. It couldn't fill that longing inside of him. And in Charlie's own words, here's why. His entire life, he had been brought up in the scientific community to believe in atheism and a universe that's billions of years old. And while he's standing on the earth's surface, collecting more rocks and bringing back more specimens than any human being in history, he's convinced that this universe is billions of years old until he pulls his car over on the side of a road in a highway in Texas. And God deals with Charlie about his soul. And that's the moment that he realized there really is a God. He really is big enough that he can control the heavens and he can speak to this lonely soul here in the heart of New Brunsville, Texas. And Charlie Duke became a believer that day. And he speaks to audiences all over the world today and he tells them who Jesus is. Because there was a moment that Jesus became so real. And part of Charlie's story is I couldn't see him because I was blinded. I was blinded by science. And I was focused on the math of evolution. I was blinded by success. And I was just chasing everything that this world had to offer. And let's be honest, I got it. And it still left me wanting more. And then I watched what Jesus did to my wife. And then he started to change me. And Charlie and his wife have a rock-solid marriage. This Washington Post article said Charlie's relationship with his children is radically different. Charlie is a different man today because he could see for the first time on the side of a highway in Texas the God who created him, who loves him, and who sent his son Jesus to have a relationship with him God did a miracle in that car on the side of the road in Texas. And Charlie became a new man because he was born again from the inside out. Now, I want to put some challenges in front of you today. Maybe somebody's watching this broadcast and you need God to do the same miracle in your soul that he did in Charlie's soul. Maybe you recognize my heart is hard and my soul is calloused. God, I need you to do a miracle. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.